What is going on, crypto family? So today, we've got an awesome interview with the CEO of Fractional Labs, Stephen Arnold. Today, we talk about the really important stuff in life. We talk about Star Trek or Star Wars, right? That's pretty important stuff. We also talk about his uh, backpacking days, him flying drones, what it's like creating a blockchain business in Malta today, and also his pretty cool game called Decimated that he's actually using blockchain for. So I'm gonna have him show us and tell us all about it. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. And one last thing before we get into this, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the fam. All right. So now that that's out of the way, let's get into this. What is going on, crypto family? So today we've got Stephen Arnold. He is the CEO of Fracture Labs on with us. He's doing a lot of exciting things in blockchain. As you can see, his, uh, his panel there behind you, he's got some video games on the blockchain coming for us. So before we jump into that, it's always cool to kind of get to know the people behind the project, right? So if you could, man, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. Cool, man. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Uh, I'm Stephen Arnold. I'm from Scotland. I'm the CEO of Fracture Labs, which is a video game studio predominantly. Uh, I've been working in the video games industry for more than 11 years, working on a lot of big production titles such as Injustice 2 and Evolve, Batman Arkham Origins and uh, Star Citizen. My involvement in those projects has been art, animation, cinematic production, and I've worked with various different studios uh, in Santa Monica and also in uh, Europe who have been involved in video game production. So I started Fracture Labs last year uh, in Malta, and because it was like ICO friendly blockchain island because the goal for our project is to uh, do an open world survival game uh, with a blockchain based economy so the players can earn cryptocurrency while they're playing the game uh, we have a hard fork of ethereum in the halo platform and uh, yeah we're uh, we're building this open world so we're using unreal engine for the game um, and we already have a community of about 60,000 subscribers and about 100,000 bounty hunters and uh, we're kind of trying to keep the community active and uh, you know like uh, just uh, progress forward with the, with the game so yeah awesome Man. So you said you're from Scotland. So are you a Johnny Walker guy or are you a Jameson guy? Because, you know, Ireland's pretty close too. So my theory is that like whiskey is a kind of drink that people appreciate when they're older. And, you know, I'm still only 40 years young, you know, so I don't really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even a whiskey that much, you know, I don't really drink that much whiskey. I like uh, I like caipirinhas and cocktails. No, that's my that's my thing. <laughs> I actually got you. You needed you needed a little bit more foo foo. Okay, I got you. <laughs> cool, man. I'll be in Malta pretty soon, man. Basically, you went from Scotland. You're you living in Malta right now? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So the, I set up the company here last year uh, around around this time last year actually. I have another company in Estonia which is related to this because of the crypto licensing. So we have a crypto licensing application in Estonia. And um, we're using the Maltese entity um, for game development and, and marketing. So there is, it's good because we're in both jurisdictions in Europe that are kind of crypto friendly uh, and also that are really interested in the video game sector. Some of our production partners are also uh, in Estonia as well as other countries such as Germany, Ukraine, um, 
and also in, in the US as well. So, you know, I'm traveling around quite a lot to speak with all of our production partners. But yeah, I'm based in Malta most of the time and uh, building a team here, you know. So we're speaking to the Maltese government and, uh, you know, trying to get some support for what we're doing and uh, looking for an office so that we can have everybody together in, in one office rather than kind of, you know, around around the world. So, yeah. Nice, man. So I haven't been to Malta yet. A lot of people say it's great. I mean, how big is it? You know what I mean? Like, uh, is there stuff to do there? Are you guys just trapped on this... Uh, Alcatraz, this this rock out there, and you know, outside of Greece, uh, it's not like yeah, it's not a small Alcatraz. I mean, uh, the population of Malta is about half a million. Um, I think in the summertime it, it goes up to about two million because of all the tourists that come here. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's quite a lot of things to do here. You know, it's it's, it's a very international community, especially people that are interested in the eye gaming sector, video games, blockchain. There's a lot of people in financial services here, lots of lawyers, lots of accountants and stuff like that. So, I've, I mean, I've been here for a year now, on and off. So, you know, I really like it. And I really love the Mediterranean weather. You know, like for me, that's the best thing. It's, it means that I can work hard and play hard. So we work in the studio. We, uh, you know, we're, we're working on the game. Uh, and then we go out to the beach and uh, get to chill or go on boat trips for the weekend and stuff like that. So it has the kind of best of both worlds, you know. Nice, man. Yeah, you, you always hear about it as like blockchain island. And, you know, a lot of people say different things about it. It used to be like really, really open to people. Uh, you know, at fairly cheap prices to start blockchain projects there. Has it gotten more and more expensive and have the regulators been stepping in a little bit more and kind of taxing people going there? So that's the thing. I mean, from my experience coming over here last year, um, I came over with uh, the understanding that it was crypto-friendly blockchain island. But by then there was no regulations in place, right? This was during summer last year. It wasn't until November 2018, around the time that the multi-blockchain summit was, was on, um, that's when they introduced the three laws. And, you know, I spoke to my lawyers and accountants and I was like, okay, so they've passed the three laws. Let's go, let's move forward straight away uh, with the regulations so that we can list on the exchanges and we've got the license to do that, to sell crypto and to, to do all that kind of stuff. But um, at that time, the fees to have your white paper reviewed, to get a legal opinion and to get the license to be able to issue tokens and potentially have a custodial license to hold tokens uh, for other people on your platform, for example, it was just going to cost so much money that uh, I was thinking, well, you know, we're a startup. We want to focus on product development and marketing. We would rather spend money on that than, you know, spend it on lawyers and regulations and stuff like that. So that's why I ended up setting up another entity in Estonia because it was a lot cheaper, faster, and easier to go over there, do a KYC process, and meet up with the people, fill out the application forms, send them our white paper. And, you know, it's, it was a much, much more simple process. However, I think that in Malta, they've definitely got the right attitude. They still do want to uh, in, involve a lot of foreign uh, companies and bring and, and incentivize them to come here. So I think that it's now that the bubble has burst, uh, the fees have also come down to earth as well, right? So you know, the cost of a bank account, the cost to do a, a legal opinion are much more, you know, much more feasible. And even a small company could come here and, and uh, set up in Malta now. You know, it's, it's definitely step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah, because I'd heard that, you know, in, in the beginning it was, it was amazing and then they introduced the laws and it ended up costing close to like a million bucks to get your crypto business off the ground. And so it's cool to see that they're, uh, they're kind of loosening that up because, you know, I mean, it makes it really tough on, on small companies going there to try and get, uh, you know, their start and then they get, you know, bombarded with fees, but it's a safe haven, I guess, for them. So and that's the thing, you know, like you want, you want to like encourage the startup culture, right? If it's just like the big players that have lots of money already that are able to set up in certain jurisdictions, then it's going to stifle that startup culture where a lot of innovation comes from. You know, I believe that 
the blockchain, the video games are going to be one of the paths to mass adoption of blockchain because obviously video games and blockchain are kind of almost like a perfect fit, you know, being able to earn cryptocurrency in games. And I, I think that there's a lot of small companies that only have a team of maybe five developers. You know, they don't have the, the funds to be able to pay regulators and lawyers, you know, just to get a stamp of approval to basically make a game where their gamers can uh, can earn crypto, right? Or trade virtual items. So yeah, it definitely needs to be more inclusive to smaller companies if, if they want to kind of boost the economy for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you're trying to spend all this money basically just with fees and regulation, it makes it really difficult for a startup to, to develop, right? Because they, they need that money to pay their developers or, you know, just even for marketing, just to let people know that they're out there. And so like with what you guys are doing right there with Decimated, I mean, we can see it behind you. And it's on the left-hand side. It looks incredible, man. It looks like something you'd see on PlayStation, but you guys are actually doing this on a fork of Ethereum. So you got to tell us. I mean, there's so many people out there that say that, you know, games, video games will never be, they'll never work on the blockchain in its current status because of, you know, it's just too slow, right? The transactions per second. So how did you get around that? And then also, it sounds like you're building this platform out to where you can license it to other people that create video games so they can use your infrastructure as well. Maybe kind of walk us through that a little bit. Just to be clear, we're not building a game on the blockchain. We're utilizing blockchain technology DLT for uh, the management of the virtual items and the tokens in the economy. So we're building a game in Unreal Engine 4 like any other uh, game studio would do. Obviously, we've uh, got experience working in Unity Engine, but we've chosen to work with Unreal Engine for this project. Um, we are planning to use like a server technology called Spatial OS, which allows for uh, hundreds, potentially up to a thousand players per server. But uh, we have a hard fork of Ethereum, which has been developed by the Halo platform, who are kind of lesser known platform, but uh, they hard forked Ethereum specifically for video games. Now, these guys are ex-game developers as well. Uh, this is a plug for those guys. You know, They are listed on several exchanges. They did an ICO back in 2017. And they've been focusing on product development. They've already got two games that are using their platform. One is called uh, Block Fights and the other one is called Dragon Dragons. Um, now, they're more kind of, you know, smaller games, indie games, casual games, I guess we would call them. Um, and Decimated is planning to use this platform as well as, you know, our, our partners. We're going to be selling virtual items on OpenSea.io, which is a, a virtual marketplace for um, Ethereum tokens, ERC721 tokens, non-fungible items. You know, we're just using the blockchain to allow uh, proven ownership of virtual items, peer-to-peer transactions, and to mi- mitigate hacking. Because, you know, a big problem in the video games industry is that hackers are able to spawn items into the game world. They can give themselves a maximum amount of tokens in the, in the virtual currency in the game, uh, and then they can dominate the server. They can buy the best helicopters in the, we- in the game, they can buy the best uh, vehicles, the best weapons, and then they can just kill all the sort of like new players. So we want to mitigate that by allowing cryptocurrency to make sure that, you know, you, people just send their tokens in exchange for their virtual items and, you know, there's no fraud involved, right? So uh, we can also assign digital scarcity to the virtual items. When we start selling virtual items on OpenSea and through our website, uh, we'll, be, we'll be assigning digital scarcity to those items. We can say there's only one of this item in existence or potentially 100 or 1,000 and we'll have different methodologies that once one has been destroyed, then it will cease to exist forever and the blockchain will have that information recorded. So therefore you have a higher level of scarcity but if we have millions of players playing our game, you know, whoever's willing to spend a certain amount of money um, on that one, that rare virtual item, they could potentially get outbid by another person and then introduce value into the game, right? So another thing, that, another reason why we're using blockchain is because typically in the games industry, a lot of big companies are, they have a one-way payment system, right? So they have virtual item sales, um, you know, weapons, ca- character customizations, um, vehicles and things like that. 
and players will spend money, microtransactions, you know, to access all that content, but they never really get anything back from that, right? So they're spending lots of money. Sometimes people spend, you know, hundreds of dollars uh, on their games or more um, if they're real fans, you know, I guess, but they don't really get anything back from that. If they want to sell their account, then they could potentially do that on eBay or Craigslist or something like that. But uh, what we want to do is allow the players to be able to scavenge the environment and, or buy virtual items that are on sale in the marketplace, either on sale from us or on sale from uh, the other game developers. Uh, sorry, the other, the other gamers or potentially other game developers as well if we uh, make it uh, kind of like a user-generated content system where what we're planning to do is, is have a kind of voting system every month, right? So people can vote for what content they want to see in the game that's been uploaded by the community and the top 10 virtual items that the community voted for, we will then assign a unique cache in the game world that then people can buy that and then they can, they can fly it around or drive it around, for example. So that's how we're planning to do that in terms of including the community and, and other developers into the mix. And then in terms of the, uh, you know, licensing a platform to other game developers, this is going to be our kind of long-term strategy. You know, once we've developed Destinated and potentially other games uh, using the Halo platform, then uh, we would basically have the tools available for people to be able to make their own games, not necessarily a sci-fi dystopian uh, open world game, but maybe they could make something kind of like Red Dead Redemption or, you know, there's a whole lot of game developers, indie game developers that we'd love to make blockchain games. As you can see with like the engine community, multiverse community, you know, there's a lot of games that are using engine. However, engine is, as far as I know, uh, just an ERC-20 token. Um, and what we want to do is actually give over the engine with all of the blockchain integrated into it with the ability to upload content and share content and buy sell content and everything. so that's our long-term strategy but the short-term strategy is to make decimated uh, and we're currently crowdfunding that through the token sale and bringing on equity investors as well so yeah it's awesome man I, there was a lot of information there and so if i got it right it sounds like uh, it's one of the things i've always said about youtube for people that want to have a decentralized type youtube what they need to do is essentially have all the the big bulky video content on servers and have all the, the pertinent, uh, important subscription stuff that is going to retain or I guess be retained by the owner of that channel um, on the blockchain. So that way, you know, like all the subscribers, the fans, all the important stuff would be on the blockchain owned by that person that owns that YouTube channel. And then all the content, all the video, all the bulky stuff would be on, on servers. So it kind of sounds like you're doing that too. It sounds like uh, in video games, you'll have the game itself, you know, running on servers, all the players on servers, but all the you know, in-game items, the, the methods for, for swapping, for purchase, all the important stuff that um, you want to make sure, you know, happens is all on the blockchain, right? But the actual exactly. part of it is off. Yeah, exactly. So in that sense, it's, you know, there, there's decentralization in the sense that players can transact with each other without having to go through a centralized platform. But obviously, because we are running a game, a very, very big, ambitious game, it requires a, like quite robust server technology, which would be centralized, right? So we would have those servers in locations around the world, South America, North America, uh, Europe, and, uh, you know, in Asia, uh, Australia, New Zealand, for example. So that then there's a, a low amount of ping for people to play the game so that their characters aren't bouncing around from different points in the map, right? I guess if you're a gamer, then, then you would know this, this kind of stuff as well. These are the kind of problems that, that gamers face. So um, the server technology, we still need to have as centralized servers, but the blockchain tech is, uh, is where it will be interesting for gamers. And I think that this is what makes our game unique from other games that are on the market. There are obviously other uh, crypto games out there. And we're in contact with a lot of these guys, you know, the guys that are developing Ultraverse and Blank and uh, they're all really, really great guys. And uh, yeah, we're all trying to do the same thing. We feel like we're the pioneers in the games industry that are doing this kind of thing, you know. And, you know, we're presented with a lot of challenges, of course, because it's, uh, it's 
technical, it was a technical challenge. But uh, yeah, we want to be the first ones to do it. So. I love it, man. And so with, with everything happening there in the background, you know, that video game, is that how, how long before people actually be able to use it? I mean, it looks great. I mean, it looks it looks like something you'd see, you know, like on PlayStation. When would people be able to use it? So this is still a pre-alpha version. Um, we're still developing this, um, and uh, we expect to have a smartphone wallet uh, released by uh, Q3 uh, 2019, so that players will be able to store their tokens and the virtual items prior to the game launch on their wallet, which will potentially also have a desktop wallet as well, because it's an ERC20, well, it's ERC20 based. So um, we can just have that, and then people can. Um, exchange it between the exchanges or exchange it with other wallets, for example. Um, we plan to release early demo versions of Decimated where players will be able to fly their virtual items around in a sandbox environment or potentially a shipyard, for example. And then we're going to introduce updates to the game build where players will be able to customize their vehicles with uh, graffiti tags and then assign a unique hash to their virtual item and then sell it. Uh, they'll be able to customize it with modular components such as add uh, weapons on the front, maybe add additional booster packs. Now, this is all going to roll out over the course of the next uh, few years. But we expect to have the pre-alpha version released by, uh, I think, late 2020 um, so we still have quite a, a like a year of development to, before the game will be you know out in its sort of early stages and then we'll be developing the game for years after that you know, and we want this to be a kind of like a long-term thing but in the short term yeah we, we just want to release the smartphone app and mini games as well so we're planning to release mini games on the mobile and uh, distribute them on steam and other game, game distribution platforms um, that kind of introduce people to the lore of the game and teaches them, because a lot of gamers don't really understand crypto, right? They understand games. They, they don't know how to install a wallet. They don't know about exchanges. It's quite a high kind of learning curve for using exchanges. So we want to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to get involved early and just focus on the user interface, focus on the virtual items, focus on the what it looks like and how easy it is to use. And they know that it's secure and that if they sell their virtual items to somebody else, that uh, they're not going to run away with their tokens kind of thing. So we have that, you know, the transactions for you. So how did you actually get into video gaming, right? So are, are you a gamer? I mean, is this, uh, what's what's your experience in the space, man? What made you decide to build this? So I'll try and keep my history short, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, back uh, back in the in like uh, 20 years ago, I was uh, a music producer and I was a professional electronic music producer and DJ and I was uh, doing freelance work for like the BBC, like uh, boom up and like recording dialogue on film sets and short short films and stuff like that. Um, and that was really my career was doing sound design and music production. Um, and I moved to Berlin uh, in 2008 to continue my career in music production and because I thought that's the place to be in Europe to to do music. Hence the name Espion. Like my my moniker is like Stephen Espion because Espion was my producer name. Uh, however, when I went to Berlin, it didn't really work out for me. You know, like uh, it was difficult to get a job, and uh, even though I was releasing records and DJing, I wasn't really making enough money to make a living out of that. So I went back to Scotland and I got a job as a games tester. And uh, from there, I got a job as a business development manager working for. Uh, games translation and testing company in Scotland. And then I started working for another company that were doing the same thing in Spain. And I worked there for two years. We worked with the likes of Bethesda and Nintendo and some other studios. So we were translating their games, right? And then I thought, okay, well, I like this, but I, I want to do something more creative, you know? So then I started getting into motion capture production and art and animation and cinematics production. So I was working with a studio in Frankfurt who are one of our partners for this project, actually. And uh, yeah, so I learned about the motion capture pipeline and basically organizing everything from um, storyboards, previs, which is previsualization, which they do in movies as well as games. It's like early 3D versions of, uh, of cinematics and gameplay. Uh, motion capture, face capture with the headsets where you film like 
uh, people's faces and then it's all mapped onto 3D models. Um, In-engine production, 3D asset production, 2D asset production, <clears throat> you know, art and animation, and then VFX in, a, in the engine. So we've worked in Unity and worked in Unreal Engine. And, you know, over the course of like 10 or 11 years, you know, I've been working on um, a lot of games such as uh, 2K Games Evolve, worked on Ubisoft The Division, I've worked on Batman Arkham Origins with Warner Brothers, we've worked on Injustice 2 with Warner Brothers and the NetherRealm in various different capacities, you know, like uh, assisting with uh, the production of storyboards, assisting with the production of cinematics. And, uh, you know, I still do that kind of work and I help other studios with uh, certain aspects of production, especially with creative production or animation and cinematics. Um, but yeah, I wanted to do my own thing, you know, like I've been developing video games uh, in my spare time since 2012, actually. That's when I first started making my own games. And I've got one game uh, called Hide and Treat Mansion, which uh, is in prototype stage, but uh, I didn't have a company back then. That's the thing. I, I developed a prototype in my spare time and I was working on that. And then when it came to looking for investors and publishers, they were like, well, what's, where's your company based? Uh, I was like, well, I don't have a company. I'm, I'm just making this as a hobbyist, you know, like I've got a job and this is my game. And, you know, maybe if you help, if you invest in the company, then we'll incorporate a company. And they said, no, you need to have a company first. You need to have your trademarks registered. And you need to have, uh, you know, like a team in place and that kind of thing. So this time I decided to do things that way, you know, like I was like, okay, this time I'll set up the company, register the trademarks, develop the prototype, uh, you know, like you spend more money to develop the game, list on the exchanges, try and crowdfund the project for the token sale and also bring on equity investors as well. I think that this way is just like doing things in a much more clever and thought out way because of the, the experiences I've already had, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, the industry, the games industry is a really small industry. It's bigger than the blockchain industry because I noticed that when I go to conferences in the blockchain industry, I always see the same people. It's like there's maybe like 10,000 people in the blockchain industry, like core blockchain enthusiasts, you know, they're always at all the conferences. In the games industry, there's, there's quite a lot more, but still we all know each other, you know, it's, it's a really, really tight-knit community and they're all, all very creative guys, you know, so yeah, now, now I'm kind of helping the, the, the two industries kind of merge, the blockchain and the, and the games community. So that's kind of like, it's going to, over the next few years, I think they're going see a lot of intermingling between the two sectors so <clears throat> so yeah it's um, exciting stuff you know this is the these are the early early stages you know yeah, yeah for sure and along the along the way man what's what's one of the most important lessons you've learned you know basically you've gone from you know struggling artist to helping create video games to creating a video game in your in your i guess in your hobbies to now actually building a business and, and giving us you know, you're you're pretty soon decimated what's maybe a lesson you learned along the way that you know maybe you didn't know that you should share with others that may decide to take a route like yours well there's a lot of things you know do you know what like actually if i was to have one superpower it would be to ask myself for advice in like the future you know so that then i could ask myself should i list on this exchange Stephen? and then i would say no you probably shouldn't no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that, you know, that you learn along the way. One of the biggest uh, things that, that I've learned is um, that uh, it's really difficult to, uh, to do a token sale. You know, it's not 2016, 2017 anymore. And I do think that maybe that there will be hopefully another bull run um, and people will start investing into other projects that, uh, that you know, are, are developing something that, they, that they're interested in. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge, you know, and uh, if I were to give advice to anybody else that's uh, thinking about doing a, an ICO or a token sale or an IEO or, or, some, or an STO is uh, maybe, maybe really think about that, you know, because it's like, it's, it's not easy anymore. And uh, yeah, it's, it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. And it's just a lot harder to do because of all the regulation involved. It's not just in our case, making a video game, you know, it's fine. You know, you make a video game and there's no questions asked, but when you're doing a video game with blockchain, then there's the whole KYC aspect. There's the whole, um, you know, crypto licensing aspect. 
uh, is custodian license. You know, it's it's a it's a whole other ball game. You know, it's it's, it's only getting more and more uh, strict. You know, so it's uh, it's definitely a challenge, but uh, it's it's also a learning experience as well. You know, so you know, like, uh, but if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to answer, and I'm also also really eager to help people who are interested in, in getting involved in the space. You know, I, I offer a consultancy with like uh, you know blockchain stuff and video game stuff as well. You know, so and I can warn people what not to do because of the mistakes that I've made already because you learn from your mistakes, right? So I'm happy to help people not make those mistakes because there's a lot of like really eager-eyed people who are just like, yeah, do you know what? I've got this great idea and I'm just going to do a token sale and I'm going to raise millions and then, you know, we're going we're gonna to build the product afterwards. And I'm like, there's no way, guys, it's going to work. You know, you have to build your, build your product first. You know, focus on that. You know, like if you want to do a token sale or introduce like, uh, like tokenomics into it, then uh, think about that later on. But right now, just focus on your product. You know? So that's yeah. the biggest piece of advice I would give people. Focus on the product, not on the tokens, uh, because the tokens are just an add-on to the product. And unfortunately, as you've seen over the last few years, there's a lot of projects that just have the token and they don't have the product. And then they raise a lot of money and then they just disappear. And it's just like, it just gives the, it gives the industry a bad reputation and it makes legitimate projects, it makes it harder for legitimate projects to be able to, to do what they want to do, you know. I think there's a minority for the majority in a lot of cases, you know. There's a minority of people that are bad apples. It's really difficult for everybody else because then other people are just like, there's no way I'm going to I'm gonna buy tokens because I've already bought tokens from that company and then look what happened, you know. So, so yeah, like... Uh, yeah, great <laughs> points. Yeah, great points. Great advice, man. What's what's maybe, a, what's maybe a book that you've read, you know, that was, you know, really important to kind of shaping your life that you recommend other people should read as well? Uh, good question, because you know, I don't really have time to read a lot of books, but I do read a lot of articles online. Um, you know, I've read, a lot, I, I watch a lot of tutorials on game development. So, yeah, I mean, I, my advice would be uh, for people that are wanting to do what we kind of do is uh, certainly... Uh, watching a lot of the tutorials that are on YouTube for how to how to do game development, how to prototype games and use assets that already exist on the marketplaces to uh, to build your games. But you know, I'm a big lover of sci-fi, as you can probably tell. You know, Decimate is a fucking sci-fi game. You know, so I'm a huge fan of uh, like Philip K. Dick stuff. And you know, I used to read fighting fantasy books when I was a teenager, uh, which are the ga- they're the books where you read a paragraph and then you choose what to do at the end of the paragraph. And you have like various different outcomes based on what paths you choose. You roll the dice when you're in fights, for example. Um, and you know that Ian Livingston, who is one of the authors of all these games, he's like the CEO of Square Enix. Uh, uh, you know, so you know that's his career. You know, making those books, creating those books, and then he gets into interactive entertainment and video games. You know, so those are a big influence on me. You know, like the, the fighting fantasy books. And in fact, when I was a teenager, I used to write those books, kind of like imitating those guys. You know, like I was like, yeah, I want to make like adventure game books, you know? So I'm sure that they're probably lying around somewhere in my parents' basement. Like that. <laughs> Maybe awesome. I'll publish one day. You know? yeah. There you go. There you go. So Star Trek or Star Wars? You say you're a sci-fi guy, obviously. So Star Trek, Star Wars, which one? That's a really good question because, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I really love Star Trek. You know, like I watched Next Generation a lot. Uh, I was a big, uh, you know, Voyager fan and obviously like the original Star Trek as well. I dipped, out, I dipped out of like Deep Space Nine a little bit. Didn't really watch that so much. And then the new ones, I'm not really into that much either. But Star Wars, I do really like. But I'm I'm losing interest in Star Wars now. When I like when I go to the cinema to see Star Wars, I feel like it's too formulaic, and it's just like you know they're they're making. You, you could probably line up the movies shot for shot. I think you've even seen YouTube videos of that, right? Where they line the, the films up shot for shot, and it's exactly the same film 
in every it's sort of the same story in every single film you know so that's what i dislike about star wars however i do love the star wars universe you know like the lore of star wars is really really cool um definitely uh a sith more than a jedi but uh you know <laughs> but yeah i mean what, what, I, what i want to do you know because i do take inspiration from star wars too you know like so if you think about um uh what's the name moss eisley you've never you've never met a place with more scum and villainy uh, yeah, that's what we want to build and decimate. We want to build like a world that's like filled with like, you know, pirates and bounty hunters and robots and stuff like that, you know, so we do take a lot of inspiration from Star Wars as well as Star Trek. You know, what about yourself? Me? I'm definitely a Star Trek guy. Yeah. So Star yeah. Wars, you know, just kind of got diluted after, uh, after Disney bought Lucasfilm. It just seems like they just, they've got the recipe, man. They just cookie cutter, just like you said, they're just lining up all the I shots know. and so it's, yeah, it's a little yeah. diluted for me. Yeah, growing up, I, I liked them, you know, both, but I've always been more towards Star Trek. But uh, yeah, man, what about you? You got uh, any uh, any hidden, um, you know, I, I guess uh, skills or talents that other people don't know about you? Maybe some, maybe uh, coworkers, they don't know that you're able to, I don't know, maybe you're a ventriloquist or, or something, or maybe you're, uh, <laughs> maybe you're a mercenary by night, you know, you, you modeled the video game after, your, after your, 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 your silent life that people don't know about you. Wow, I don't know. I mean, like, what are my skills? I don't know. I mean, I think snowboarder. I like snowboarding. I like extreme sports, you know. Although I am afraid of diving. You know, I went diving here in Malta um, like a couple of weekends ago. I thought, I've given it a go in the past and I'll, I'll give it a go again. And I don't like being immersed underwater, you know. Um, as much as I like flying through the air in a paraglide or maybe, um, you know, snowboarding down a mountain, um, like going deep sea diving is not is not one of my strengths for sure. I'm, I'm a bit afraid of that kind of stuff. I need to get over that fear. But uh, you know that's uh, that's the thing. I think a lot of people think that I'm just a computer geek and that I spend all my time looking at uh, like cryptocurrency charts and uh, and developing video games and Unreal Engine, whatever. But uh, you know I do also go outside too. You know? So that's what I do when I'm not in front of the computer. So yeah. Yeah, I think being in deep water that's that's a natural fear, man. I don't think you need to get. I don't think you need to get past that. What's uh, what's some of the stuff that you saw underwater there? You said it was there in Malta, right? So you know, I guess there's a lot of ruins there and things like that. Were you able to see some of that? Yeah, that's the thing. Like we didn't really go deep enough for us to see that kind of thing. We were just like doing the training. We I think we were down by two meters. We we just like sank down to the bottom, and then they were teaching us how to breathe underwater. And then they say take the take the mouthpiece out of your water, out of your mouth and then let it fly away. And then you've got to like move your arm to put it back in your mouth. And you've got to get over the fear that you're, you know, and not, and not hold your breath. You've got to constantly blow bubbles out. And it just it feels like you've got all this technology on your, on your body, you know, and it's just a lot to think about. It's quite distressing. Um, so I didn't really get to see that much other than bubbles in front of my face. And, uh, and then my instructor, who was like sitting right in front of me, he's like going like this. He's like, you... Look at me. Okay. Take the thing out, then put it back in. And I was like, dude, this is weird for me. I'm breathing underwater. This is too weird, you know? And I was just like, I was going like this, like for him to, because obviously it means go up. That doesn't mean, yeah. okay, that means go up. <laughs> so I think I went up two or three times and he was like saying, don't worry. It's fine. Nothing bad will happen. It's totally safe. And I was like, yeah, dude, I just don't think I'm a fish, you know? Like, let's just, let's just call. So I was like, I think I was down there for 10 minutes. And I still paid, you know, I still have to pay for the, the trip. You know, but like if they were all down there for about 45 minutes or an hour. And, you know, they said that they saw like crabs and, you know, bits of boats and stuff like that. But we didn't really go out that far. But I know that around Malta it's possible to go uh, deep sea diving where you can go into old shipwrecks from World War II. 
in World War One as well, you know. You can like when you're an experienced diver, you go down like 18 meters, and then uh, you can you can actually swim through the shipwrecks. I mean, I would love to have that experience, really, but you know, I'm also, I mean, I, I can swim, but you know, like just like being underwater, breathing in the water, I, I need I need some practice, you know. So the good thing is, uh, you know, here in Malta, I'm I'm, I'm able to practice, but maybe I'll practice. Uh, <laughs> Poco yeah, poco, is it? yeah I, I think if you're going 80 meters down, you better be, you know, you, you might as well have some skill, right? So you don't want to be freaking out that far down. Yeah, definitely not, man, definitely not. And then the last question, man, what's what's the craziest thing that you've ever done? You said you're into extreme sports, you tried diving, you like snowboarding, you got into video games and blockchain, which is pretty crazy. But what's the craziest thing you've ever done so far? I don't know, man. What can I say? Um, it's not going to land you in prison. Craziest- <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's certain things that I can't say, you know, like that I've done, you know. A few years ago, I DJed in Hong Kong, back in the music days, you know, like a DJ in Hong Kong. That was quite cool. What else? You know, I've been uh, been to Peru, backpacking through Peru, went to the Atacama Desert. That was pretty epic, you know, like uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Like that's, that's where they film Star Wars, you know, and that's where they also test like the Mars uh, robots and stuff like that because it's like so desolate. So we went out there, we were like out there for a week, you know, and uh, my girlfriend actually had tooth infection, but we were so far away from civilization that she just had to just deal with it. They were giving her coca leaves. I was flying a drone, so I've got amazing footage on YouTube of like uh, like drone footage of Bolivia and, and Chile. Uh, that was pretty cool, you know, that's that's something that I'll never forget, you know. Something that I definitely recommend people to do is, is to go to these really remote areas of South America just to get away from the internet for a while, you know, and like, uh, and be somewhere where there's just no life at all, man. Like just desert and salt lakes as far as the eye can see, you know, it's crazy. That, that was pretty epic, you know, just maybe not one of the craziest things I've done, but uh, that's a pretty epic thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, you had me at no internet, man. Like no internet, that's just nuts. So. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Yeah. You get withdrawal symptoms over the first two days, but then it's fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Stephen, it's been awesome meeting you, man. We'll make sure to get these links out for people so they can go check out, you know, all the stuff that you're building there and see when uh, Decimated comes out. They'll be able to start, you know, using it and playing it. And obviously they can check out, uh, you know, your links and follow your socials and just stay up to date with you, man. So thanks a bunch for making time for us and telling us all about what you're doing. Thanks very much, Robert. All the best. Have a nice day. All right, buddy. God bless. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Big thanks to Steven. Appreciate you, buddy. Really looking forward to trying out that video game when it's ready. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk please help us grow the family give us a comment and review on the apple or google play store it's super quick and easy just scroll down click the little stars comment and just help us grow the family god bless you love you catch you on the next one